This is Streaming Income, a podcast from Bearings, and I'm your host, Greg Campion. On this show, we intend to dig below the headlines to find out what's really going on in public and private asset markets around the world. From fixed income and equities to alternatives and real estate, we'll be speaking with Bearings experts from across the globe to get a glimpse into where they're seeing risks and opportunities today. If you like the show and want to hear more from us, just search Bearings on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click subscribe. Or visit us on bearings.com. That's B-A-R-I-N-G-S.com. On today's episode, I spoke with Dr. Christopher Smart, head of the Bearings Investment Institute. Before joining Bearings in 2018, Christopher served in the Obama administration as Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Treasury and also at the White House as Special Assistant to the President, where he advised on trade, investment, and a wide range of global economic issues. He's also held a variety of other roles along the way, including that of Emerging Markets Equity Portfolio Manager. You'll no doubt notice that today's episode is quite different from what you're used to hearing from us. And that's because we recorded it live in front of an audience at the Bearings 360 Private Markets Conference in New York. In the conversation, we dive deep into the first white paper that Christopher has released as part of the new Bearings Investment Institute titled Financing the Internet of Things. I hope you find the discussion as interesting and insightful as I did. All right, Christopher Smart. Thank you so much for joining me. Okay. I am very excited to have you here. Uh, Today is a very special episode of Streaming Income. Um, And I think it starts with where we are. So where are we? We are in New York, New York. The city's so nice, they named it twice. And we are at the Bearings 360 Private Markets Conference. Thank you. And you have the uh, distinction, honor of being the first repeat guest on Streaming Income. Uh, So I'm very uh, excited to have you back. Um, now, I noticed your title has changed since the last episode. You are now head of the Bearings Investment Institute. We're very excited about the Bearings Investment Institute, which we launched a few weeks ago. Uh, it is our effort within Bearings to uh, provide ec- uh, economic and geopolitical research to all of our investment teams across the capital stack, uh, from private markets to public markets, uh, also to try and create a marketplace of ideas to help share perspectives across our different teams in different locations around the world. And then lastly, to use those perspectives and those conversations to explore longer-term themes that might be of interest to our outside uh, investors. Uh, Things like demographic change, things like political change, uh, different shapes of our markets as they're evolving, and of course technology, which is changing so many business models. That's right. And uh, technology, in fact, is, is the trend that we're going to be talking about today. So you have recently published your first white paper under first, the uh, Institute banner. Our first white paper under the Institute banner, which you can find at bearings.com backslash institute. Right. Uh, very easy to find, with, along with all of our other materials that we publish on an ongoing basis, uh, weekly and monthly, um, looking at both market trends and broader economic trends. So your first paper is called Financing of the Internet of Things. Um, When I think about the Internet of Things, uh, I think it's a term that's kind of came onto the scene. Actually, I guess uh, it's about 20 years old now, I think originally coined by Procter & Gamble back in 1999. Um, It's probably come more into the common vernacular over the past, I would say, 10 years or so. And it's really come into our homes in a big way, uh, probably over the last five years or so. 
Um, as I was thinking about this conversation, I took a walk around the Campion household just to inventory how many IoT devices were out there. Um, and it's more than I was actually expecting. So um, we all know, of course, of our mobile phones, our iPads, other laptops and connected devices. But I looked, as I looked around and I looked at the Peloton bike that we bought three years ago, I looked around and I, and I see um, uh, the smart doorbell that we added uh, a year ago. Um, smart sprinkler system has found its way into the camping house. So as I walked around, it, I was actually amazed to say, wow, this really has kind of infiltrated my home. And there are a lot of devices that are sending data back and forth constantly to a variety of places that I may not be otherwise aware of. Um, but it's much more than that, isn't it, the Internet of Things? So, so talk to us just a little bit about how you define the Internet of Things and maybe where you're seeing the biggest impact so far today. So it's a confluence of technologies that I think uh, have been with us over the last 10 years, and we're now just seeing what um, power they have. And it is both a combination of things that we see as individuals in the consumer sector, in our households, on our phones, but I think what is more impressive or more interesting if you're an investor is to look how it is transforming industry. Uh, and it is, it, is, it is the ability of industries to tap into the combined power of very inexpensive uh, sensor devices, uh, very inexpensive remote uh, mobile uh, networks, vast arrays now of cloud storage, and uh, increasingly sophisticated algorithms that can analyze uh, all of that data. And what is particularly powerful uh, about that confluence of technological change is that you can now have both uh, an ability to monitor what's going on in the physical world around you, uh, to analyze it in real time, and with an increasing data set of the things that you're analyzing and monitoring, you can uh, track correlations of change uh, that begins to help you predict what's going to happen in the future. And that is what is transformative and why we, I think, are on the cusp of a major change in a whole series of industries across our economy. So it's, it sounds like at the heart of it is really data, right? So it's the ability to capture data in new ways, to measure it in new ways, to ultimately draw insights and take action in new ways. Um, so as you look across uh, the different industries that you and your team look at, where are you seeing some real-world examples of this really taking hold? Well, I think one of the more interesting ones, those of us who flew, air, flew here on an airplane, um, is, uh, is in aviation. Um, late stage, current, modern jet engines today may have as many as 5,000 sensors on them operating at a single, uh, at, any, at any moment. Those sensors are sending an enormous flow of data back to central analytical algorithms. Uh, they monitor, for example, how that single engine has been performing across its lifespan, what routes it has run, what weather it has flown through, uh, what kinds of conditions it has faced. Mm -hmm. It creates what uh, sort of a digital model of that physical engine that allows uh, the analysts to very accurately begin to predict where problems might start to occur. 
a little bit of uh, you know you're monitoring you're monitoring the cabling you're monitoring the the hydraulics you're monitoring you're monitoring the um, uh, various uh, any any of the parts within sure. the jet engine and so you can start predicting that a part may need to be replaced next week and you don't have to wait for downtime to take the whole engine apart you can have that part available in place at its next stop have it switched out very quickly and so the amount of downtime, unscheduled downtime, that airlines will have to confront, that travelers and others will have to confront, is dramatically reduced, in some estimates up to 25%. Hmm. And you think of that as a small or a single example of the operational benefits that, that can accrue to individuals counting on airlines, uh, airlines running these jet engines, the jet engine manufacturers themselves in terms of the the uh, repair times, uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous boost in their operational efficiency. Mm -hmm. You see it in uh, other sectors like mining, uh, where the mining equipment, the, the excavation equipment um, is both monitored in terms of the way it's being used. Uh, if an operator is driving too fast, you can track that and give that person um, remedial training. Uh, so that you know that your equipment, which is very expensive, is being operated properly. It can also track the ore that you're digging out of the ground in real time and tell you, you know, you need to shift a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right so that, you under so that you're able to um, operate more quickly or, or more efficiently. Uh, and uh, in many cases, in very difficult environments, particularly you know, a long way below the surface level, um, you can do it all remotely, so worker safety is tremendously sure. enhanced because you don't need people there. Mm. Um, I'll give you one last example. Uh, in, in agriculture, you can tag your, um, your herd of pigs and cows. Um, you can monitor not just their location, but their health, um, their weight, their ability, you know, how they are growing. Um, I see you're wearing an Apple Watch. It's sort of the similar way that other companies are tagging humans right now, but they tag <laughs> pigs and cows so that you are able to reduce um, any losses from strays. You are able to um, make sure they stay healthy. And again, within an agricultural setting, you dramatically improve your, your operating profitability. That's great. So I guess it's faster decisions, better decisions, cheaper decisions, um, an overall improvement. In and cheaper is the key word there because all of this technology existed in one form or another, but the fact that we're able to do it at the same time and at a very inexpensive rate makes it uh, uh, increasingly available to all kinds of different business models. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little bit about just broadly what the Internet of Things is today in our home, in the industries. Let's talk about um, the financing of this Internet of Things. And that, that really is, gets at the heart of the research that you've done here. Uh, because we hear a lot about automation. We hear a lot about robots coming into the work workforce, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we hear probably less about how these advancements are finding their way into the world of finance. So give us some examples of, of, of how that's happening or how that's not happening. Well, again, it's still very early stages. Uh, but I think the premise is if you uh, can, through this technology, have a better sense of what's going on in the real world, have more transparency and therefore less risk operating some of these very complex um, machines, industrial plants, or other activities. 
Uh, are there ways to share that transparency with the people who are providing the money? Um, whether it's an equity investment, a loan, maybe it's lease, uh, maybe it's insurance, uh, maybe it's trade finance. Are there ways in which the people who provide the money, who also are making a, a risk return calculation, and make that calculation uh, to a great degree based on the transparency they have on the investment? Uh, if they are able to share in some of this transparency and this reduced risk, does that open up larger pools of capital for certain kinds of activities, cheaper pools of capital, um, or perhaps enhanced profits to those who are providing it? Okay, okay. So it seems about sort of in a way that it's about efficiency and cost on the industrial side, it's also about ultimately about efficiency and cost potentially when it comes to financing as well. Um, where, where are we actually seeing real-world examples of this today? Well, again, I think we're just starting to see the beginnings of it, just as I think the Internet of Things itself is at a very early stage. And I should pause and say, it's not just your sprinkler system and it's not just big jet engines. Mm -hmm. It's transforming almost every sector of the economy. Um, in medical care, hospitals are wasting enormous amounts of time just tracking equipment, where the equipment is in the hospital. Um, traffic systems in cities will become more efficient. Uh, educators who can track a student's progress are able to do this more efficiently with a lot of these technologies. So almost anybody with a business model, I think, needs to think about how these technologies are going to change the industry in which they operate, including, by the way, the financial services industry. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, where we're beginning to see some of this are in uh, areas such as trade finance, um, a very uh, clunky, antiquated system over many, many centuries, in fact. But if you, as, the, as the, the bank that provides the letter of credit, can actually track the delivery of the, uh, of the shipment from point to point, from ship to port, to train, to warehouse, to customer, you're able to monitor the temperature of that uh, uh, delivery so you know whether you have high confidence whether or not it's spoiled, uh, whether or not it's intact, uh, whether or not it's been tampered with in one way or another. Uh, you can release the funds at each step of the way in that okay. transaction without waiting for the paperwork or other sign-offs to take place. So the amount of money that is often uh, tied up in trade finance is much reduced, which creates all kinds of benefits throughout the system. How about on the consumer side? Well, on the consumer side, I think, is where we're seeing the biggest initial changes because, again, um, those of us who carry around electronic devices either on our wrists or in our pockets uh, are, are, are there to be uh, mined, at least for our, uh, for our data. But that is where you can see already early benefits in things like um, insurance, health insurance. If you, there are plans now if you carry around a, a watch of some sort or a band of some sort where the insurer can track your ability to exercise, your health, your heart rate, that sort of thing. There will be discounts that yep. get attached to that. I think my, as I came up on stage today, my mortgage rate just went up. <laughs> well, but they know that you've got that cool doorbell. Uh, exactly. Um, 
but the there are there are also benefits in terms of car insurance because there's a, you can track how somebody is driving, you can track how they whether they speed or not, how fast they sure. accelerate or decelerate, and benefits uh, for somebody uh, who is a better driver versus mm -hmm. versus a, a less uh, good driver. Um, you're also seeing it in some areas, I think, again, it's, it's still at the very early stages when you're sort of leasing equipment. Uh, you can monitor the location of the equipment. You can monitor the, the, um, uh, the maintenance of the equipment remotely. Uh, and there are certain lenders that are already starting to offer uh, better terms on loans, on, on leases for equipment that they can track right. more precisely. So trade finance, consumer credit, commercial loans, insurance, leasing, you're seeing yeah. it in a lot of places. We're seeing the beginnings of it in a lot of places. And really it's, a, it's, it's the ability to take this new technology, again, that tracks the physical world, uh, and from a financial provider of finance or capital or whatever it is, um, being able not to rely on a paper report or a financial result, but to look at the way the physical uh, uh, good that you are financing is being maintained and used. Mm -hmm. Now you talked about uh, the pro proliferation of sensors, cheap sensors, cheap cameras, essentially a world, living in a world with sensors everywhere. Um, that brings us pretty quickly to the place where we need to be worrying a lot about privacy. Um, we need to be worrying a lot about uh, data security. Um, and also within the context of, as we think about making investments through an ESG lens, um, I think governance, data security, and privacy are just massive issues and, and a part of this whole equation. So how does that all factor in? Well, if it were all good and all easy, it would be done by now and we wouldn't have anything to discuss. Um, but clearly you've hit on some of the bigger issues that are making the rollout of these technologies more complicated. Um, I think if you were living in a world where all you wanted to do was to maximize economic growth and economic profit, you would want as much data to be flowing as freely as possible, to be available to as many uh, participants as possible, investors, economic participants, business, manager, business um, managers as possible. Um, Clearly, we have a world with different kinds of trade-offs. I think one of the very big trade-offs you mentioned is personal privacy. Um, we as individuals want their to, you know, or insist on there being limits on how our data is being used. Uh, I think if we're totally honest with ourselves, we're not really sure where we want to draw that line. And even if today we could say, you know, I'm comfortable with this data being shared but not that data being shared, that line would probably shift tomorrow mm -hmm. or right. next week as different technologies become available. Mm -hmm. um, it also shifts very much, I think, in a lot of the research I have done from country to country. Uh, it is a very big deal in Europe. It's particularly a big deal in Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also a very big deal in many post-communist countries, interestingly enough. Um, it's a very different set of trade-offs, of course, across generations uh, where you'll find uh, and it's not simple either. You might think that you know, older people might be more uh, uh, protective of their data, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not even sure that that's such a, mm -hmm. such a simple line to, to, to draw either. Beyond the personal privacy set of issues, there's also a very important national security set of issues because increasingly our 
critical infrastructure um, in the United States around the world depends on some of this data, particularly this industrial data that I'm mentioning that doesn't have such a personal component to it, uh, but the security of that data from both outside hacking but also um, others using or misusing that data becomes a very important uh, uh, balancing act as well. And so I think it's going to be a long effort among industry, um, uh, the financial world, policymakers, nonprofit groups, non-governmental organizations, human rights organizations, national security organizations, sort of thinking through this debate and figuring out where we strike the balance. Mm -hmm. uh, are there positives from an ESG perspective to all this tracking of data that we're doing? Well, there are negatives and positives. I think one of the, some of the positives that I think are worth uh, highlighting is, for example, if you are concerned about governance, if you're particularly concerned about the, um, say, the carbon footprint of an investment that you're making, uh, you can actually get a physical audit. I mean, the, the companies can monitor their own carbon footprints much more accurately, and they can be required to report that. So you can see how that is changing over time. Uh, development banks, the World Bank, the uh, other development banks around the world who are trying to finance greener forms of electrical, uh, of, of energy production, um, can use some of these uh, to, to, to track that as well. If you're concerned uh, also with the broader basket of ESG themes about uh, um, worker safety, uh, worker well-being, increasingly the dangerous jobs, the very difficult jobs can be replaced by automated uh, remote um, excavators mm -hmm. or, or drilling platforms so that uh, that mitigates some of those concerns as well. I'll just mention a third uh, basket that I think is very interesting. Uh, in, in, there are some startups in the development space that are financing solar panel electricity for remote rural areas in Africa and in Asia. Uh, and they are able to finance those payments, the, 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 the poor families who have the benefit of these solar panels pay with, with um, mobile payment systems mm -hmm. on their mobile devices. Uh, if they don't pay, these, these solar panels can be cut off. Mm. Uh, that sounds sort of harsh on the one hand. That's on the other hand, what happens is that the non-payments drop dramatically from, in one case, sort of above 10% to closer to 2%, the default rates, uh, which means that the financing for these solar panels can be securitized and draw in a much bigger capital stream to create a much bigger program of solar panels to some of these remote areas. Mm -hmm. So there's some creative business models being thought through right now that I think uh, are kind of exciting to think about. Mm. Now, one of the things that you mentioned there was just this concept of automation. And I think we're all very familiar with the idea of robots coming into the workforce, essentially um, companies automating more and more each day. So the scale of it, that can, can potentially be massive, but, but it's much easier for us to get our heads around a robot in a physical environment, in a manufacturing plant moving something from here to here. Um, it's harder to think about uh, how jobs in the workforce will be affected in the financial world. 
Have you thought much about that? And, and what are you starting to see there? Well, first, I just want to reassure you that there is no robot that can do a podcast. So <laughs> I, I think you're that's good. That's probably not true. Uh, if I keep getting invited back, I think I'm okay. Uh, but I think one of the ways that it is more helpful to me, at least, in terms of thinking about these changes is not to think about you know, humans being replaced by machines, uh, but more in terms of how machines are providing much more powerful tools for humans. Uh, and that, of course, is the, the positive trajectory of all of this, because I think increasingly, you know, was, as technical, technological change has um, driven economic transformation for centuries, um, this is nothing new. We will have new tools that allow us to do things that we couldn't do before, uh, increasingly powerful ways to analyze things, again, predict things, um, making the world safer, more productive across a whole range of, of areas. What I think is different right now is that the pace of change appears to be you know, rapid and picking up. Yeah. So it becomes, I think, incumbent again on, on governments and policymakers to think how we need to retrain our workforce, how we need to think about new ways of um, paths of economic development in developing countries that have often depended on um, cheap labor. But it's not a very, uh, it's not a clear-cut picture. Uh, often the, um, the expense of putting in automated robot um, mechanisms is very high, which means that they don't really compete against cheap labor as much as they compete against expensive labor. Mm. So the disruption is more likely to come in developed markets, richer countries, mm. than in many poorer countries. But it's a big challenge, and I think it's something, again, not the quality of change as much as the pace of change that we have to deal yeah, with. Yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's probably the biggest challenge facing our industry as you look forward to the next five, 10 years. Um, it's probably also the biggest opportunity. I mean, I look at it from a bearings perspective, it's something we're trying to get our arms around every day, right? I mean, we look at all the different businesses that we operate in, uh, especially in our private assets business and all the data coming in from portfolio companies and other investments and figuring out and navigating how to harness that data and derive insights that can ultimately benefit our clients is a major challenge, uh, but also, like I said, a major opportunity. I think anybody who's in the business of gathering data, analyzing it, and uh, drawing conclusions from it has to be looking very hard and in a very granular way at how they do it, how much they pay for the raw inputs, are these the right raw inputs, mm -hmm. how much time do they spend analyzing them, how much benefit, uh, how much power goes into the recommendations or the decisions that they draw out of that data how they share that data across their organization. And uh, as you say, within the investment, uh, investment management world, within the broader financial services world, you know, that's pretty much what we do for a living. And so I think you're seeing different models, uh, different algorithms that are gonna drive that kind of change. But as I say, it's happening in medical care, it's happening in heavy industry, it's happening in almost any, any, uh, any business model that you see. Mm -hmm. Are there any other big risks out there looming around this whole concept of the Internet of Things, especially from a finance perspective that you can identify? Well, I don't know if there are uh, any 
big risks other than the ones that we talked about earlier in terms of national security or privacy. Uh, there are a lot of little risks or little obstacles that remain to be resolved. Very big uncertainty in terms of the rules about how you uh, transmit data across international borders. Very uh, misaligned laws in different jurisdictions about the protection of data, who owns the data, who has rights to the data. Um, very poorly educated lawmakers in many cases who think there is better data, better data security uh, of data that is on a server in a closet that's locked behind a door rather than encrypted uh, and stored on the cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of different issues that need to be worked through. And in particular, as I say, it's going to be a very important element in uh, any of our trade negotiations, whether it's with China or the European Union or anyone else, it's actually a very big chapter in the renegotiated NAFTA deal, uh, the USMCA, uh, how data is managed and handled uh, across different jurisdictions will be a very important theme to, 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 to watch. Last thing I'll say on this is what remains, I think, a very big question, but also a very exciting question is who will benefit from all of these changes. It is not clear whether it is the company who owns the data. Mm -hmm. uh, there's this uh, oft-repeated line that data is the new oil. I'm not sure that's right. I think it's the, 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 the individual or the organization, not just that has access to the data, but that knows how to use it sure. better than anyone else. And I think that is the, where the, the, the real change and the real excitement lies. Great. So as we wrap up our, uh, our discussion here, and you think about from an investor perspective, kind of taking it all in, what are some of the key takeaways for you? Well, I think the exciting thing, again, is how the technology today, again, the combination of mobile networks, cloud storage, data algorithms, allows an investor to track and monitor the physical world in ways that they never could before. And thinking through how that transparency how that different level of risk can change uh, both the risk of those investments or those loans, mm -hmm. as well as the returns from those loans. Uh, and married with that, the ways in which investments decisions themselves, as we talked about just now, all of these technologies are transforming the financial services industry itself. So two very dynamic areas of change that I think we need to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And they will be incredible to watch um, in the years ahead. Um, I will note that uh, this has been a very insightful discussion, but it's only the tip of the iceberg. There is so much more to this topic. Um, I think a good next step for uh, our audience and for our listeners would be to take a look at Christopher's full white paper. You can find that on bearings.com by clicking on Institute. Um, take a look at that. I think that's a, that's a next natural step, but the, the topic is so big and it's one we look forward to continuing to talk about in the years ahead. So thank you, Christopher. I really appreciate it. And thank you to our audience for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to hear more from the team here at Bearings, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and search Bearings or find us on the web at bearings.com. That's B-A-R-I-N-G-S dot com. Thanks again.